then, you know, when, when all of your time and energy and money is going into something, there are times that you just don't want to work on it. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> there are times when you just don't want to have anything to do with it. So. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 116 with Erica Gooley. I'm really excited to bring you the story of Erica Gooley. She is someone who purchased my guide, Tiny House Decisions, way back in the day. And over the years, I've followed her through Facebook as she designed and then built a gorgeous and unique tiny house called The Sun Chaser. And you'll find out why it's called The Sun Chaser in this interview. Um, but in the conversation, we talk about the design, the build process, and what Erica would do differently in her tiny house, and also how her life has changed through living tiny. It's a really fun conversation, and I hope you stick around. But first, I want to tell you about our sponsor today. The Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast is brought to you by Tiny House Decisions. Tiny House Decisions is my signature resource that helps you go from dream to plan to even building your tiny house. I'll tell you more about it after the show, but all you should know right now is that I'm offering 20% off for podcast listeners. Just head over to thetinyhouse.net slash THD and use the coupon code TINY. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD coupon code TINY. All right, I'm here with Erica Gooley. Erica first started thinking about building a tiny house five years ago after watching a Netflix documentary. Her sister was moving out of their shared apartment and she wanted to quit her job in retail, but she wasn't sure she'd be able to afford the cost of living on her own. Then she came across a book called Tiny House Decisions, and the rest is history. Erica, welcome to the show. Hi, Ethan. Thank you. <laughs> You're so very welcome. It's good to have you on. Uh, nice to be chatting with you again. Yes, again, we we actually had to start over. So we're going to make this like so spontaneous sounding that nobody's going to know except I just told them. Well, and we've done this before, but it was years ago. So it's true. I'm telling you this again, what you don't already know. Yeah. Okay. So so we started off, you kind of told the story, you, you expanded on that backstory about, you know, how long it took. And what was involved in going from just like seeing tiny houses for the first time to actually taking the plunge and, and building your own? Right. Um, okay. So it was probably about a year. And I knew that I had about a year's worth of time before we had to move out. And I really was going to need to make a choice. Um, so I, I kind of put it out of my mind. I saw this documentary. It's like the first one that was on Netflix. And it was really cool. Um, and my sister said, oh, yeah, you should definitely do that. That's something that you could do. And dad would help you and you could move home. And I thought, no, 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 no. That, like most people, see tiny houses and think of the idea of living tiny. And it seems really cool, but you can't really do that. And it's not really reasonable. So I kind of put it out of my mind. And then, you know, I thought maybe, maybe that's not unreasonable. Maybe it's something I could actually do. And so I talked to some people about it and everybody agreed it was pretty cool. I talked to my mom 
Um, and she thought moving home would be no problem. It was really my dad that I had to convince because he's the one that was going to help me do this. If anyone was going to help me, it really all came down to whether or not he thought this was a good idea. And turns out he didn't tell me no. And so I really started researching and looking into it more than just thinking, you know, this is a cool idea. I looked at what actually might go into doing something like this. And then, of course, I found your book. And so I used that to answer the first couple difficult questions that everybody has getting into this process. And that probably took me the last couple months that I was in our apartment, uh, at which point I felt pretty ready, or at least as ready as I was going to be to move home and buy a trailer. That's step number one. And the rest went from there. So did you work off of a set of plans or was the design totally original? No, I really, people ask me that all the time. People say, how did you design? What was your process? Can I see what you did? And I got to tell you, it was a really crude pencil drawing on a piece of graph paper. I mean, really, that was it. I made some drawings and I kind of figured out the space. And I had asked my dad, you know, dad, you got to sit down with me. You got to tell me if this looks good. And he said, yeah, yeah, you know, whatever. Whatever you want to do, just come up with a sketch and I'll help you. <laughs> so <laughs> it really was not technical. I am not a computer person. So I had kind of thought I might get into the SketchUp thing, which totally just blows my mind. I can't even look at it, honestly. But I'm an artist. And so I did some drawings. And I actually ended up waiting a really long time or at least longer than I thought for my trailer to arrive. So in that time, I actually cut out graph paper and I made these little sort of scaled 3D models so I could visualize the space a little bit better. But really, it wasn't technical. I just came up with a floor plan I thought might work. And just enough. <laughs> it's such a great plan. And I what would you, what do you even call that roof style? Like in the loft, those triangular kind of roof I don't panels? know. I don't know. I I had in mind, I had seen, I'm actually looking at it on my bookshelf right now. I have this book called Surf Shack. And there was a small home in Hawaii, I believe, with that round window in the loft. And so I had in my mind, I wanted a round window in my loft. Before I even started building, I got my big piece of stained glass before I started doing anything. And so the design was kind of based around having that window there. And I also didn't want the exterior to look like your typical sort of plain, rectangular, no design kind of structure. And so I had incorporated, I have sort of a diagonal in the siding. Um, on the front. And that all kind of worked itself out into having these dormers going in every direction. And if you ask my dad, he will tell you that <laughs> that was not a good plan. <laughs> that was probably the most annoying thing that we had to work out. And had I just given myself a normal roof line, we might have been done a lot faster. But it's cool. It looks cool now. But, you know, again, I just drew out what I thought I wanted, having no prior experience with carpentry or construction or anything. 
And he was right. We just made it happen. Well, it sounds like it was, you know, almost his fault for not like it's it's yeah. awesome that you did it. But he said, whatever you want, just draw it and I'll whatever help you. you so there you go. I said, Dad, you didn't stop me. So this is what we have now. But he really was quintessential in helping me get this done because he kind of just went with it. I mean, he we did have our differing opinions and a lot of things he stopped me from doing. But uh, yeah, if we if we did it all again, we would never do that roof. So I got lucky because it looks really great. It does. <laughs> and I, I also love so on the inside, you you kind of paneled the roof with Luan or, you know, some thin yeah. plywood. And then yep. you actually kind of I, I'm going to say wallpaper, but you used a map, a world map to like yeah. cover that roof. Where where'd you get that idea? And wh what was the process like doing it? So you're right. We co I covered the ceiling um, with just some Luan and I painted it because I was thinking, what the heck? I've got all these crazy angles on the inside and they're cool looking, but I don't know how I'm going to cover this. And I just felt like I kept digging myself a hole with this roof because it looked cool, but it's really hard to figure out how to finish it. So my mom and sister and I were actually standing in Home Depot one night. And I'm just staring at this wall of, I don't know, it was like flooring or laminate tile or something like that. And I'm just staring blankly at this wall thinking, what the heck am I going to do? And the poor guy that worked there comes up and says, how can I help you? And I said, man, <laughs> I wish you could help me, but I can't even help myself. So we're staring and we're staring. And my sister hands me her phone and she says, do this. And on her phone, she's got this advertisement or website or something for wallpaper murals. And it happened to be this map. And I thought, you know what? That's cool. But it's hundreds of dollars to order one of these things and they're custom. And so I thought, I, I probably can figure out something else. But really, after a month or two of trying to come up with another idea, I kept going back to that map. And I looked at other wallpaper and different maps. And I just liked that one that she showed me in the aisle at Home Depot. And so I put a little bit of money into it. It's about $300 from a site called happywall.com. And it was custom, came in seven sheets. So it comes in like a roll. And we had to cut them all out. And my sister, even though she gave me this wonderful idea, she even volunteered to come and help me put it up. <laughs> so we had to cut all the sections out and it was really hot, kind of sticky summer day. And we cut it all out and taped it up the first time just to see if it all fit. And then we had to take it all down. And then we had to put the wallpaper glue up and, and glue it all. So it was a full nine hour day and it was kind of annoying, but it looks really good. It was a whole nother thing to get the trim on. I ended up having to cut a compound miters in this trim, which was a kind of a nightmare. And there's still some gaps in it. You can't look too close because there's still some gaps in the trim. But uh, yeah, you're right. It's just wallpaper. Yeah, some of the, some of, sometimes the, the kind of harebrained ideas or the kind of like, yeah, let's try this, end up becoming almost like the focal point or the, the key kind of unique feature in a space. Yeah, that was totally not planned. I had no idea up until the last minute that that's what I was going to do. 
And that's kind of how it went with a lot of this. This is the first space I've ever designed on my own or I've lived in on my own. So everything came down to exact, it could be exactly what I wanted, which is almost harder because you have so many options and you can choose literally whatever you want. Yeah. So a lot of the last minute things ended up being pretty cool. Yeah. And what I'm really struck by looking at pictures and you, you, you take beautiful pictures of, of the space. Is Thank you. There are so many different textures and patterns, both in the, the various kinds of wood and different like directions that the wood grains run. And then in, you know, all the various textiles that you've used throughout the house. Yeah. Pendleton. <laughs> Pendleton is my favorite. <laughs> I know it is. That's also pretty pricey stuff, though. It is. It is. But I really wanted it to be right. And it took me a long time. And I really, again, this is the first space that I've been able to design just by myself. And so I just fronted the money for some of this stuff. But yeah, it was really important to me to... I see a lot of people with designs that they have painted the walls or there's color and, and things in the interior, which I kind of wanted to steer clear of because it's such a small space. And you know how it goes designing this kind of thing. It's not like you're working with separate rooms. Everything is next to each other. Right. You're, you're always going to see the floor. You're always going to see the ceiling. You're always going to see the wall. And so, again, I just kind of got lucky with some of this material that was lying around. I didn't know what I was going to put on the wall until it came down to putting something on the wall. Right. And so my dad at the time said, you know, I have all this rough cut butternut sitting up in the top of the barn. Let's see how much of that we have. Okay, cool. So I have all of this wormy, cool looking butternut that we milled down into some into some planks. And that ended up being just enough to cover my living room wall. So what am I going to put on the rest of the wall? All right. Well, I ended up with just some pine siding from the local hardware store. Um, But I didn't want everything to be just contrasting wood. Okay, so how do we make it look a little bit more uniform? My sister came over and we put some whitewash on the pine. So most of the wall is white. Flooring actually is the same on the floor and on the ceiling. So I, again, after I put that map up, I wasn't sure what was going on the rest of the ceiling. So I used the floor to put on the ceiling. So it kind of matches top and bottom and the color of the, the wood. It's like an engineered hardwood flooring um, ties into the wood that ended up around the window frames. So the window frames is just cedar that came out of the burn pile. Nice. Um, And my lofts are cedar. And you had mentioned the diagonal. I have some diagonal grain wood in the kitchen. Because again, I had these two little sections on the bathroom wall. How am I going to cover this up? And I had a couple pieces left of the siding that's on the exterior of the house. And it had planed down really nicely. And it was this nice sort of rich gold color. But how do I spice it up a little bit? Okay, I could put it on diagonally. And so all of these things, even even the bathroom, I'm standing in the bathroom. I've got the bathroom up. It's the last wall to do. What the heck am I going to put here? 
And as I'm thinking this, my father is taking the old ceiling, like beadboard ceiling that's been on our front porch for 30 plus years. It's thin, it's sort of crappy wood, it's chipping, it probably has some lead paint on it that was blue and now it's white. And I said, what are you going to do with this? And he said, what do you mean? I'm burning it. You don't want this stuff. I said, yes, I do. Don't ask questions. (laughs) And I took it. And so I took it and it was enough and I put it on the bathroom wall and it looks awesome. And so every decision kind of just you end up worrying a lot about, oh man, what am I going to do? And it just happens. At least for me, something's just happened. And those ended up being the best looking features, I think. Yeah. I mean, you, it almost sounds like you built kind of letting serendipity guide some of these things, some of these decisions. I did. Yeah. I had a long time. I didn't, I was lucky that I was not on a time crunch. A lot of people are doing this because they're moving or because they have to be out of their apartment or whatever, but I just moved home. And so I was living here. We were building on the property. My parents were not going to kick me out. I wasn't going to be on the street. And so I had time to sort of let some of these things happen a little bit more gradually. That being said, at the very beginning, I thought, oh man, I can save all this money and I can salvage materials and I can cut way down on the cost. And for me, that really wasn't realistic. I mean, that takes a long time. And sometimes when you want to just get a project done, the best option is to just go to Home Depot or go to the lumberyard and buy what you need just to get the job done. If I had really been looking to salvage materials and waiting for things to come to me, it would have taken quite a bit longer, I think. But I was lucky in the way that a lot of stuff that was just here. I mean, my dad has been living on this property for 30 years and he keeps some really nice stuff around and he's getting older and he didn't have much use for some of this stuff anymore. And so I was just lucky in the way that he said, hey, let's let's use what we have. So some things, some of my hardware and things like that is really cool. Just old stuff that's been sitting around. Other stuff was new, but that was kind of just how it worked out. I bought what I needed to buy to get certain projects done and other things fell in my lap and I used those as well. Yeah. And it, it also looks like you've got some salvaged doors in the house. Um, yeah. Yes. So my front door, we actually made ourselves with some walnut that we had sitting around. Oh, nice. But my closet door is actually an old, um, it used to be an insulated freezer door. It's a Jameson freezer door. Again, that has been screwed to the wall in my dad's wood shop since I can remember when I was a kid. And he said, hey, if you need a closet door, you could take that one that's out on the wall. And so that's how I designed my closet. I designed it because he gave me that door. And then we got to a point where the bathroom was finished and there was no door. And he said, well, go look in the basement. There's a couple doors in the back of the basement. Oh. Okay. <laughs> so you like so live I, at an architectural sorry. salvage. Yeah. Store. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot thank my father enough. We call it liberating in my family. We liberate things that are not being used other places. He's been a contractor. He was a contractor around the city for a very long time. And so he worked at a lot of properties where things sort of ended up coming home with him. And I sort of reaped the benefit of that because he's got a good eye for things that are old and beautiful and they've just been sitting around. And 
he let me use them. So can't thank him enough for that. Nice. So how long did the whole build take and what was your total cost? Um, it took me about two years and three months total. And my total cost was about $35,000. But $10,000 of that was just the trailer. So if I had known a little bit more about what I was doing at the time, <laughs> I probably could have, I, not probably, I definitely could have avoided that major cost. But again, it's the last minute and you feel like you have to start doing something. And so you just have to buy one. And that's what I did it, to the tune of $10,000. Wow. That's, that is really expensive for a trailer. It's really expensive for a trailer. I know. I was kicking myself the whole time, but. It happened. Was it, it a happened. tiny house specific trailer or? So I ordered it from a guy that has a welding company nearby. Um, and he had seen this before. He had heard of this concept before and he had actually made a trailer for somebody else. And really, I didn't know what I was doing. I kind of thought, where in the world could I buy a trailer? And so I kind of went with the first option and I talked to the guy and he knew what I was talking about. Okay, so I ordered this trailer, and he actually welded a six-inch flange around the perimeter of the trailer specifically so that I could put my wall frames on it. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I, I wouldn't end up taking up space inside the footprint of the trailer with the walls. Okay. Which, which was great. And I thought, okay, that's good. And it also was only two feet off the ground and i was having a hard time finding trailers that were low enough again the higher off the ground it is the more headroom you're taking up in your actual design mm -hmm. um i also didn't realize buying this trailer and this is the piece of advice that i give people all the time when they say where to start or ask where to start i thought you could just go and buy a trailer like you go to a dealership and buy a car and that is not the case I ordered this trailer and then it took two months in Pennsylvania, which I didn't know it was being built in Pennsylvania, but this thing is manufactured in Pennsylvania. It takes several months. Once it's done, they need a truck that's full enough to get it here. Once that happens, now this guy has to do the custom welding at his shop. So not only did this cost me $10,000, it also took up an entire summer that I had hoped to be building that instead I was sitting here waiting for my trailer, sort of twiddling my thumbs. Yeah, that's that's a that's a heartbreaking story there. Um, yeah. If I could do anything again, trailer shopping is it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess the time delay certainly can still be a situation. But now now that there are tiny house specific trailers being manufactured, um, you don't have to get the custom design and I mean, you can potentially just drive, you know, you can go and pick it up yourself, which is, you know, a time and an expense, but it is possible. Right. Yeah. Actually it was going to come down to, I would have to still go and get it myself or the guy was going to charge me another $250 to just bring it here. And it is just 45 minutes away from where I am. And I said, Nope. I need it. <laughs> and I yeah. think you're going to bring it for free. So that's what happened. It ended up working out. He worked with us and that was great. That's good. Um, but yeah, I, we had gone to Ireland that spring. And so I thought, oh, we'll come home from our trip and, and then I'll start 
I'm the classic procrastinator. If I could do this later, I'll do it later. We'll come home from our vacation and then I'll look into it and then I'll buy a trailer and then we'll start in May, right? Yeah. And it was August. It was the end of August when we started. So So other than the trailer, is there a particular part of the build that took a lot longer than you were expecting? Because, you know, it sounds like, you know, two years and change is a it's a healthy, healthy build time. Um, well, if you know anything about upstate New York winters, it's very similar to Vermont. I it do. gets very cold <laughs> and there's a lot of snow. And really for the first winter, it, you know, it was probably six months of winter there that we didn't really do a whole lot of work because we started so late. It was August. We ha- didn't even really have the whole house closed in. I guess it was closed in by by fall or late fall. Mm-hmm. But it was really cold and the roof wasn't done. And that roof, again, like I said, took a huge chunk of time. So once we got it filled in or closed in enough that it was comfortable inside, I could do a lot of the interior by myself. But we were also both working full time. So I was working full time and my dad was working full time. And he helped me a lot. And there were days that I was here without him. I had days off, but if he wasn't here to help me, there was a lot of things that maybe I could have done by myself, but I just wasn't comfortable trying to figure out by myself. Um, so there's definitely a little bit of a waiting game that slowed down some progress. And, you know, when when all of your time and energy and money is going into something, there are times that you just don't want to work on it. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> there are times when you just don't want to have anything to do with it. So. Again, I had no timeline. I didn't really need to be out of here. So it was okay that we we kind of took our time a little bit. Yeah. So I'm curious how, you know, how has the tiny house lifestyle been for you? Because, you know, you, you kind of described at the beginning wanting to quit your, your retail job. And, you know, I'm curious you know, how have things worked out in terms of your lifestyle? Like what's changed as a result of living tiny? It's been great. I did. So I I stayed in retail just long enough to finish building the house and pay off my bills. So in that time, I ended up paying off my student loans. I paid off my car payment. My dad had given me a $10,000 loan when we started building so that I wouldn't have to pay back the bank. Mm -hmm. And I would have a little bit of extra money since $10,000 went into my trailer. I had saved $10,000. That paid for the trailer. He gave me $10,000 just for building materials and things. And then over the course of that time that we were building, I probably put $15,000 more on my credit card. And so I paid that off little by little as we were building. And then when we were done, of course, I was living at home. I don't have any rent to pay. I had paid off my car and my student loans. And so all my money went to paying back my dad and paying off my credit card. At which point I did not have to work in retail anymore. (laughs) So, so yeah, it was was a few months later. I paid everything off and I quit my job in retail. So now I actually work at a rock climbing gym with all my friends, which is amazing. I had been climbing there for a couple of years already. And when they found out that I needed something else to do, I was really trying to leave my job in retail. They said, you know what? Come and work with us. And so it's people that I know very well already. 
all friends of mine are all wonderful people. It's like my extended family. And so I get to go there every day with them and work with them. And I don't have to worry about making as much money as I was making before because most of my bills are gone. Fantastic. So yeah, I pay for my cell phone. I pay for my car insurance. I do pay my parents a little bit of money for utilities things for being on the property. And I pay propane. I have a, a heater that runs on propane and my stove, my water heater all run on propane. So I do have a little bit of a propane cost, but it's not really that bad. Yeah, and it's nice. <laughs> yeah, no. It, and how do you get your water? Um, That's the big question. Everybody wants to know where my water comes from. So the water line from the town already was running through our backyard because that's how we hook up our garden hoses and whatever mm -hmm. in the summer. And so right kind of near the corner of my house, my dad said, well, start digging and maybe you'll find the water line. And <laughs> I did. It was the first. Honestly, I put the shovel in the ground and it was like, plank, there it is. It just was right there. I couldn't believe how quickly I found it. So, so we tied a little spigot into there. I have a drinking water hose that runs from that spigot around the corner of my deck up into the back of my house. And that's just town water and it feeds the water system. But it only feeds the water system when it's warm. <laughs> right. Because this water line in the backyard is only six inches underground. Mm. And of course, it freezes solid. And I was not about to ask my parents if I could trench their entire backyard to, yeah. to remedy that. So I do have a 50-gallon water tank under my sink. When the ground freezes, it usually, and because winter is not really what it used to be here, uh, it doesn't get cold for weeks on end and stay that way anymore. It kind of, you know, how it goes. It warms up every couple days, maybe once a week. It gets a little bit warmer. So it would be warm enough that I could turn that hose back on and fill up the tank and use it for about a week. Turn it off, turn it back on when it gets warm, fill it mm -hmm. up again, that sort of thing. I generally will take showers in my parents' shower at that time because taking a shower uses about a half a tank. Otherwise, just washing dishes and things like that doesn't really take that much water. So I can get by for a little while and then once it's really really late into winter and it stays cold for long periods of time i have to hook up four hoses from the back of my parents house down through the yard into my house fill up the tank for 15 minutes and then turn it off and put them all away empty and you probably have to get the water out of them so they don't freeze up yeah yeah but this year i only had to do that twice last winter so the first winter i was in the house i did that four times and this year i only did it twice Nice. And I'm sure that makes you much more conscious than the rest of us about our your water usage. Yeah, definitely. I have to, my sister comes over or whatever, and I'm like, if you're not actually using the water for something, turn it off. Yeah. <laughs> if it's not actually hitting a dish or your hands or whatever, turn it off. Um, so yeah, it's really nice when spring rolls around and the water can just run. Yep. is is nice. Is your hot water heater in your loft? Yeah. Interesting. Why why did you choose to do that? Um well I needed some extra space. I needed to put it somewhere because underneath my sink was already full because of this water tank that I have. Mm -hmm. 
And I didn't want to take all of my storage space now trying to put in a heater. There really wasn't any extra room in my bathroom. So the tiny on-demand water heater sits just above my shower in my loft. I actually, I feel like, do you have something in your loft? I feel like I looked at pictures of yours and I thought, look, he's putting stuff in his storage loft. That's a genius idea. What can I put up there? I have my, the air exchanger yeah. is in my okay. storage loft. Yeah. That was it. Really? <laughs> I saw yours and I was like, okay, you can put stuff up there. What can I put up there? And because my kitchen sink is right next to my shower on the opposite side of the wall from my shower, all of the water system is relatively in the same place. So the water just goes up into the heater from the input in the back of the house. It goes up into the heater and then back down into the shower or whatever. And then I built that little desk. Again, last minute, I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) I used some scrap wood and I built a little desk and I put a desk over top of it. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Again, just uh, necessity is the mother of invention, I guess. <laughs> yeah, totally. And you, your house is one of the houses, speaking of kind of interesting locations, you've, you've kind of nailed the in-floor storage system. Yeah. So yeah. Where, where in the house is that? that? Is that kind of where? The, under the kitchen. It's under the kitchen. So you, yeah. basically your kitchen hallway opens up. Yes. And do you, is that like stuff that you use frequently or is it more like long-term storage? It is. It's stuff I use every day. Uh, Several times a day I'm going in there for something, which is not so bad. I mean, the floor just lifts up. It's on two really simple hinges. This guy named Tanner, he was on, and I'm sorry, I can't remember which of the tiny house shows that he was on. Um, He had a design element in his house where his floor opened up and he actually had it on hydraulic lift. So it was really cool. Um, but I really, I couldn't figure out how to do that. Or maybe at that time, I just didn't want to figure out how to do that because <laughs> I just wanted to be done. And this yeah. was one of the last things I did. So it's, it's a piece of plywood. It's on two really simple hinges and I can lift it up. And I've got a quick draw. It's a piece of climbing gear, actually, that is, that just clips it up onto my bathroom doorway. Mm-hmm. And so that just holds it open. And there's a piece of, I think there's a two by four in there that I had just put as a temporary support measure. And I just left it. <laughs> I just left it there because, again, I didn't want to take more time to figure out more design elements. I was just done. But it works fine. You open it up, I clip it to the ceiling or, or to the to the door frame. And I just kind of balance and, and walk back on that two by four and grab what I need to grab and then close it. Nice. Yeah. That was the last minute. Again, I didn't I hadn't planned to do that in my original design. But I was sitting here waiting for my trailer and I had stopped watching all the tiny house shows at that point. There were so many on TV at that time. And I didn't want to watch anymore because I didn't want, I was so overwhelmed with ideas and I didn't want any more. I thought I'm done. This is all I'm going to do. And so I'm making that, that graph paper model I was talking about earlier. And I go inside and my mom says, why don't we just watch one episode? It's on TV. Let's just watch. And so I did. And 
the guy that happened to be on at that time had to step up into his kitchen and a table comes out from underneath it. You've probably seen this house. But a table comes out from under his kitchen floor and it's raised. And I thought, that's it. That's, that's the idea. I've raised the kitchen floor. And now that I've raised the kitchen floor, let's put something under it. <laughs> and so that was a really last minute. Again, my whole floor plan layout changed. If I had gotten my trailer on time, I wouldn't have done that. But the fact that I was sitting here for a month waiting, it just gave me a little more time to think a little bit harder about what I might need or want. And yeah, that's how I got the under the floor storage. So cool. And it keeps my floor warmer. I have a lot of clothes under there. Yeah. So. Well, and I'm, I think that house is the Alpha by New Frontier Tiny Houses. Yes, that's yes. the one. And it's yep. like super, super engineered. Oh, and yeah. Beautiful. It's gorgeous. Yeah. It's gorgeous. My, my raised kitchen looks nothing like that. But just the idea that you have to step up to get to the kitchen was enough for me to like, oh, okay, that's, that's a different idea. Let's work with that. Yeah. And so it ended up working out really well for me now because my living room really feels like a separate room from the kitchen. Mm. You have to step down into it. So it's a little bit lower. It's got a ceiling on it because it's under the loft. It's got this different paneling on the walls. And so it's cool because it really breaks up the space. That's that's one of the worries that, you know, are you going to feel like you're just in this one room all the time? Yeah. But no, it breaks up pretty nicely and, and it doesn't feel that small, really. How did the house get its name, The Sun Chaser? Um, that's a good question. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the sun chaser is, is kind of a nautical term to chase the sun. Sailors chase the sun uh -huh. to the horizon. Um, but I just have always loved the sunshine. It, it just energizes me. It makes me happy. And, you know, like other people that live in this kind of climate, we get really bad seasonal depression when it's gray and cold all the time. And, you know, the sun is just really important to me. And so... I don't know, that turn was just kind of in my mind, and it stuck. I like it. Well, I mean, maybe it speaks to, I, I, it seems like you're, you're an avid outdoors person, so it's like the house allows you to pursue those outdoor things, which connects you more with the sun. Sure. And, you know, living in a tiny house as well, you're always next to a window which I think is really cool. There's it's so true. many times that, you know, you're inside a, a big house or a normal house or whatever. And you lose track of what's going on outside. Yeah. And that never really happens for me because I don't, ha I don't have any curtains or anything. I don't have people around or, or in that close proximity to my house. So I don't have blinds or curtains or anything. I'm always next to an open window, which is cool. You just pay attention a little bit more. Nice. I like that. So what, if anything, did you do? Because I've seen photos of the house and you're kind of just parked on the lawn. Yes. What, if anything, did you do under the house to keep it kind of level and keep the wheels from burying themselves in the lawn? Nothing, really, honestly. And we talk about this sometimes. I mean, they're on plywood. It's kind of, it's like each wheel is parked on a piece of plywood. And really nothing's, it's been too... I mean, it's been a few years that it's been parked here, but the house has been built for a year and a half, 
now and they're not going anywhere. Nothing has happened. That's good. And the house has stayed like level. Yeah. Yeah. We had it jacked up at first. It's not jacked up anymore. It's just, it has stayed. Yeah. It's good. Well, that's lucky. It's not relatively, well, I, it's not really flat ground, I guess. If I look at it, it's not on flat ground. But yeah, it's staying. At least if it's moving, it's imperceptible to me. I haven't noticed. And you, so you also built uh, a deck around it. Yeah. Um, really, I had, we had put down a frame in the yard. It, it just was a pressure treated frame with some plywood on it. And we put up a little bit of a tent canopy thing so that I would have a place to put my tools and we would have a place to put the saws and everything while we were working before the house was closed in. Uh Uh-huh. And then we didn't really need that anymore. And so this frame was just kind of sitting in the yard and it was taking so long to get the house done. And I thought if I can't live in it, it would be nice to hang out outside it. (laughs) (laughs) And so we didn't need this frame in the yard anymore. And so we picked it up and spun it around. My uncle came over. He helped me level it out. We spun this frame around that we already had, took off the plywood. and put some deck boards down and it became a deck. So it's not attached. It's just kind of sitting in front. Uh So if I pulled away, the deck would stay where it is. And it's not movable. It's so heavy. I don't think I would ever plan to move it. I don't know if I plan to move ever, but (laughs) yeah, the deck is just kind of a accessory to the exterior. Well, it's, it's such a nice setup and uh, I'll post with your permission. I'll post lots of pictures on the show notes page for this episode. You know where to find them. Yes. So one thing that I like to ask all my guests um, is what are two or three resources that helped you along the way that you want to share with our listeners? You already mentioned Tiny House Decisions, which is my book. I appreciate it. You don't have to you don't have to make a a plug for it. Were there any other resources that that were helpful? Um uh let's see, Jenna's website, Tiny House Giant Journey. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it's called. <laughs> um, yeah, that is what it's called. She, yep. She had a lot of really great resources uh, when it came to figuring out systems. Um, so some of my water systems and plumbing and things like that. I definitely got a lot of help from there. Tinyhomebuilders.com. I used a lot of their videos and things. Mm-hmm. They're actually the people that did an interview for me sort of recently, actually. And they said, they kind of laughed when I said the price of my trailer and, and that debacle. And they said, well, if she had gone with us, we would have done her a much better deal. So <laughs> <laughs> I definitely recommend that as well. When I, when people ask where did my trailer come from or how did I shop for it? Um, the humanure handbook, it's like the composting toilet Bible for tiny house people. Yeah. Get that. If you don't have it already, at least if you want to have a composting toilet, that was a pretty great resource as well. Awesome. Well, those are such great suggestions. And it was really fun catching up with you, Erica. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show. You too. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much to Erica Gooley for being a guest on the show today. You can find the show notes, including links to Erica's social media and website, and some of my favorite photos of the Sun Chaser at thetinyhouse.net slash 116. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 116.
Don't forget to visit thetinyhouse.net slash THD to learn more about our sponsor this week, my book, Tiny House Decisions. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.